And hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Two Backset Podcast here for week 12 of this college football season. It's our 11th episode, as we had to skip last week due to me having some unscheduled dental work. I'm one of your hosts, Thomas, a.k.a. Mr. Warburg. Alongside me, as always, is Patrick, a.k.a. Mr. Fusion. Greetings and salutations, everybody. How's the mouth feeling, man? Much better. Uh, last uh, last week, when we were going to record, we pushed back just for scheduling reasons, and then that Thursday, I had an unscheduled dentist appointment, and I literally couldn't talk Thursday night. So we decided to, to push it a week just to make sure everything was good to go. And uh, so we're here for week 12. We've got a bunch of stuff on tap, including some late breaking news right before we were going live. Uh, earlier today, it was reported that Cooper DeGene will be out for the rest of the year. Uh, basically, Iowa's best player beyond maybe Tory Taylor. And I've, the rumor was a foot. Now it certainly sounds uh, lower leg injury and possibly knee. I did have someone in a Discord that I'm in. Uh, they had heard it was like a fibia tibia fracture. Okay. So hopefully it's a non-complicated issue and it's not a ligament tear. But you know, obviously, any any kind of leg injury is going to take a while to heal. To heal, excuse me. Well, yeah, I found it kind of weird because practice had only been released, like they had only let out of practice like an hour or two after that announcement. Pretty quick to come out and say he was done for the year. Right? Yeah, for it was ankle, apparently very speci- very clear. Yeah, he's yeah. done. So according, it, you know what it, remind, it reminds me of. You remember that Teddy Bridgewater, where he blew out his knee in practice? How like basically like reporters just tweeted oh yeah out, and like was zimmer like, was talking about his dead wife in yeah you know like in in the post game and the post practice press conference it was like, like they just, wait what did he die like we yeah. really were like okay what the hell happened and so this 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 kind of like reminds me of that in that like it was just like they just came out and said he's done for the year with a with a you know with a with a leg injury of practice we're like Wow. Okay, you guys knew right away. So a broken a broken bone makes a lot more sense. Like if it, or a torn knee. Like once those things pop or that bone breaks, it's like yeah, you're done. We know you're mm-hmm. done. You know? So according to uh, Scott Docterman per Kirk Ferentz's radio show, because he has his weekly uh, Wednesday show, uh, Dejean planted on a foot, went to turn, and the leg twisted, and the rest of the leg didn't. Yeah. So it's my my guess would be uh, either one of the fibia tibia or the knee, but. Everyone saying lower leg would make me think it's a bone, not the knee. So, of course, well, they say he could come back for the bowl game, but there's I, no, no, there's no way if it's a broken bone. It's 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 not it's that just, far away. Even if I was going to get a nice bowl, yeah, because in that game with Texas last week, Jonathan Brooks tore his ACL. But like when he went down with the injury, it looked like it was like an ankle. That it really did look like it was an ankle because. He was grabbing his lower, like the lower part of his leg, and you thought nothing. He was he limped off, and it didn't look like the typical "I tore my ACL" type of response. So everyone thought, "Oh, he 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 twisted his ankle. He'll be back for the playoff." And then the next morning, we're like, "Nope, he he tore out. He blew out his ACL. He's done for." We're like, "Wow, okay, that sucks, man." Because that guy came out of nowhere, and you know, injuries injuries are a part of sports in general. But like we both know, this time of the year, injuries really can be really impactful in, in in football because, you know, of how important these players are. And one wrong turn, one wrong, you know, one wrong injury, and, like, you could really set yourself... Like, with Iowa, that was their best special teams player. Best defensive player. And, defensive yeah, player. like, he was the, the game-breaker guy in special yeah. teams because Iowa, like most teams, does put such an emphasis on excellent special teams play. It's hard to right. understate that loss in the face. Defensively, you still got Phil Parker. Deshaun Lee is a true freshman, but he got starts early in the season because Harris was suspended with the gambling stuff. So he got his feet wet. He's had a whole season to play now. He's been playing with really good corners, with experienced corners. Harris and DeGene have played a lot of football. Right. Though Harris has had a more interrupted career due to injury and then the suspension. But still, played a lot of football, practiced a lot, been around the program a lot. So he's in the, he's in a good, a good a spot as a true freshman can be because he's being coached by the defensive back wizard, Phil Parker. Um, so I don't think defensively there's going to be that much of a drop-off. Sure. But I do think in special teams, it's hard to overstate those hidden yardages. Like, Cooper, it's just, you watch him cover punts, and you, it's like he's a receiver. He just sees the ball, corner of his eye, he knows where it's going. He's got this sixth sense for where the ball's going to land off Torrey Taylor's foot. He knows before the punt returner does most times. 
which is why he's just he's not even playing the returner. He's playing the ball every single time. And Iowa plays a field position style. Yeah, of, and a gunner who is that yeah. good with that level speed absolutely changes games. Oh. It's but it's it's one of those ones that unless you're watching the video highlight, you're not going to notice that. Sure. But Iowa fans, we know that's a massive loss because there's no other gunner on this team that can do that. And when you play so defensive first and special teams first, losing that from the special teams, all of a sudden now you're not starting from making your opponent start from the five. They're starting from the 20 or the 25. That's a massive difference on several drives this game, I would expect coming in with Illinois because they're going to be, they're going to throw the ball. They have a decent offense. I don't want to say great because they're apparently going back to the starter, Luke Altmaier. Which I think is crazy because you just had a guy throw over 500 yards in a Big Ten game. Right. But what are you doing? That's crazy to me. Like, I get it. Guy can't lose his job due to injury. But sometimes the backup outplays the dude. Right? Like, and it, that just seems what's going on here. But then again, Bert, uh, Brett, he is uh, he is of Kirk Ferentz's coaching tree. So that doesn't shock me. Um, so yeah, that I don't know if it impacts my pick. I think it's going to be a little closer than for comfort, but I'm still going to go with Iowa on this a little preview for our pick them later in the show. But yeah, I had to start with that just because Doctorman put out that uh, paraphrased tweet from Ferentz's radio show uh, just a few minutes before we went live. So other stories of the week, where do you want to start? We've got the Jimbo news, Chip Kelly news. You've got um, preview stuff with Iowa, Texas, Iowa State, Texas football playoff reactions, Harbaugh suspension. Where do you want to start? Let's start with the big one. Let's obviously start with, because we've, we've talked about it for weeks now, that Jim Harbaugh has been suspended by the Big Ten for three games. Mm-hmm. I think there's layers to that that create a problem in terms of, like, storylines going forward. But, you know, like, because the situation given right now that he obviously filed for an appeal immediately so he can coach, but the way the Big Ten process runs is that the the, the appeal can't be heard until, what did they say, till late December? Something like that. that and they want to do this legal thing, which is like, there's what legal leg do you have to stand on? Right. Like the, the Big Ten believes, and I do believe correctly, that Michigan broke their the bylaws of the conference. Thereby, the punishment can be, at least in this case, until the NCAA also gets involved, can be meted out by the conference. It, sure. What There's no legal leg to stand on. No. Everyone's like, oh, they're going to find a judge, which is like, no judge that's worth their salt is going to put their name to that because the Big Ten will own them on appeal. Yep. And if they make something so, if they make a judgment that's so erroneous, they risk sanctions as a judge by the appellate courts. Right? Am I misreading that? Like, that's what happened with the Florida judge and the Trump thing? Yeah. Like, she well, got, like, not a sanction, but she got a, hey, you are on thin ice kind of talking to. Yeah, and that's, and that's why she's being strategic in her helping of Trump right now because she's done some things recently that have kind of like put it out there. But basically the 11th Circuit has said, hey, if we don't like what you're doing in favor of him, we're kicking you out. So yeah. she's been very strategic, which is a, it's a similar, like, I hate to talk politics, but that's what you're saying is very true. Like basically the circuit court is saying like, hey, if, we, if it comes up to us, you're going to get, you're going to have to, you know, you could be thrown off the bench for this, you know, and what judge will want to take that case. Yeah. Like that's a massive risk for, for for three football game. No, for three football games that really, you know what I mean? I'm I'm talking big picture, a game, you know what I mean? Like it's a sporting event. Really? Yeah. And they're the ones who did the alleged harm. Yeah. They they have, they have never claimed innocence through this whole thing. Like the whole drama I said is I didn't know. I didn't know. And which could mean, from a bureaucratic standpoint, several different things he's referring to. Like when he says, I didn't know what took place. Mm-hmm. He could be talking about the traveling. He could be talking about the the, the stealing of the signs, the, the, the going going dressed as, as, as the, you know, on the sideline of, the, of, of, these, of their future opponents. Like there's so many layers that he could be kind of claiming that particularly too, looking at that way he could kind of absolve himself overall in terms of like the court of public opinion. But the way Michigan's going right now is a bad look. They're painting themselves to be the victims that they're the, uh, the, uh, the, the scrappy dog that's going to have, yeah, they're to America's team, which is like America's team. Dude, in the you're the heel. Adversity. We yeah, should like, hate Georgia. Georgia's a two-time champion. They're going for three. We should hate them. Yep. Everybody wants them to beat your ass yep. right now. Like that's how 
past the Rubicon you guys are on if you can claim being the victims. So, so I, I'll have to bring it up because obviously based on fandom, I'm very directly impacted by my choice of fandom here. With the whole Astros thing, when that whole thing went down, the Astros, the players themselves, at the very beginning, they were like, we're going to cooperate. We're going to answer these questions. Manfred basically, basically offered all of the players immunity to shut the fuck up, right? Not talk about this anymore in terms of like what took place, how it took place. In return, you don't talk about what you know about the rest of Major League Baseball. Let's be real. That's why they got immunity. But somebody had to get in trouble, right? So Jim Crane fires A.J. Hinch, uh, Jeff Linnell, Luno, the, the GM. Like, there had to be heads that had to roll because of what took place. With that said, they never painted themselves as victims through that process. They were like, hey, man, all right. We yeah, they were up. like, bring we're, on the, and then, and then in the aftermath, they said, bring on the haters. Bring on the, well, yeah, because that's just, everybody likes to that's, create that's a villain. That's the only option for them. Yeah. And, and to embrace that was good for them. But, but what I mean by that is that what Michigan is doing here is that they're not, as a, as a group, the University of Michigan and players, they're, none of them are saying this was a screw up. We're learning from it. We're going to be better. None of that stuff. They've immediately turned to where the victims card and, sympathize with us because we're the Rocky Balboa of the college football world. We're the scrappy up and we're going to fight you into with every, and everyone that's our, our, our you know, our, you know, our, that are against us. And it's like, you know, dude, like, like you said, Georgia was the bad guy going Georgia and Alabama were the bad guys going into the season. Now everybody is cheering both of them on to kick you out of the college football playoff because of how you responded to this. I think it's 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 a bad and then the assistant coach I forget his name Sherman the coach Moore. last week yeah he, was it Herman Moore is that Herman I think is his first name you're right Sherman Moore rise and says we it's love like you guys like I'm right. sorry Harbaugh's fine he's yeah. not even he's not going to jail no crimes were broken oh. nobody's imprisoned he's sitting at the W hotel eating shrimp and steak watching the game with you know, milk with by the way. With milk, with his feet up, probably watching the game on one screen and Judge Judy on the other because obviously he's a huge Judge Judy fan, right? Um, all that shit coming out is I it's find hilarious. But you know, like it's like to make themselves this whole victim of this whole process when for the last what four or five years now they've been doing this. What's and, telling? Yeah, what's telling me yeah. is how ap like apoplectic all the other coaches were. Like apparently behind closed doors. Right. Like apparently they went off in that Big Ten coaches and ad's meeting yep like that tells me michigan can't play the everybody else is doing it card no because they're certainly not doing it that way like that tells me they crossed they crossed their own like colleagues sure in mass like it wasn't like somebody else was also doing it they want to point to this everybody's sharing stuff with purdue that's not the same thing right like i played high school baseball we would a few teams like would play Newman. They they were basically the like top team in our in our region. The coaches we we shared books. We shared like we got North Iowa's book on like hey this is how the hitters hit. This is where you should you know shift your alignment per each batter. We got all that, but like nobody was out there like recording shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's coach sharing of information between you know team to team is one thing like straight up going to and like to decode and record everything down the line. That's so far over the line that I think they know they can't say everyone else is doing it because that's not been their defense. Their defense is doing to pick at these little tiny things instead of the carte blanche. Everybody's doing it, but they're not, which is but, pretty telling. But Thomas, they're not even, they're not even like trying to defend themselves. No, really, their fans to... are. The people around the program the, the, are. The, yeah, the, the people around the program, but not the people involved in the process. Yeah. On staff and on the team, none of them are playing the defensive game for that. They're playing the victim card immediately. Like, you guys, we're the victim. We're, we're, and we're it's the clear ones the coaches are, are doing it, which is like, I'm sorry, in 10 years, 15 years, these guys are going to be done with the program and look back and go, whoa, that's what happened? We were See, on that team? That's I got a problem with that. Here's the thing that gets me though is that 30 minutes before Michigan was told by the Big Ten, the Big Ten released a statement. Like they basically told, and the day before, Michigan said, "If you, if you, if you penalize us, we are going to leave the Big Ten. 
Wait, didn't so say that the, in, in, in point of fact. They no, didn't the, fully the, say we're going to leave the no, conference. The, there were media people that were part yeah. of those calls oh, for that sure. said that said that Michigan made threat, quote unquote, made serious threats to leaving the Big Ten if there were going to be penalties that were going to be instated, right? Well, I think it's I think that was a Big Ten power move to kind of be like calling their bluff, basically like, hey, half an hour before you're being told like through through you know what like, would be amazing? Notice, that we're going to tell the public that you're getting suspended for three games. Yeah. Right? That, that was, that's very ballsy by the big 10, because I think at this point they look at their slate of teams that are coming in and what they have now. And they're like, and there's another whale waiting in the wings. Yep. A Notre whale that, Nor- that Michigan kept Notre out. Dame. Yeah. Notre Dame. Yeah. Yep. You want to tell me big 10 would be like, Hey, hit the road, Michigan, uh, Notre Dame. You want in? Cool. Let's go. Like, that is certainly not an impossibility. I don't right. think likely. I don't think Michigan's going to really leave. I don't think. No, the, I don't think no. the president would be okay with that. The president no, of Michigan. No. I, that's too much money. Unless you have a guaranteed mm. spot in the SEC, they're going to lose too much money. Which it wouldn't be the SEC. It probably would be the ACC. No, they, or they they have to go independent or independent. ACC. Yeah. Like that. Those are the only two options. And either way, it's yeah. a step down financially. And yep. you'd have to pay the bet. The, you're you're leaving. Yep. You pay that exit fee, and the yep. Big Ten's going to make you pay. I mean, this is essentially Ohio State and Michigan are essentially Oklahoma and Texas of the Big Twelve. Yeah, like they that, are the and, and they the are president the president knows cash. Yeah. We can't sell this to donors if we're not playing Ohio State every year. Right. Like right. they know that. Coaches have lost their jobs based off of that game. Both sides. Yeah, like that so, is too baked into the fabric of both programs. Yeah. Much like you know Red River to actually split them up right you know it's just it's not gonna happen it's like it's why iowa kind of lost their shit back in the legends and leaders when big ten's like yeah you don't get to play wisconsin every year and everyone was like what the the fuck are we even doing here like it was it was dumb and this would be so crazy if michigan actually left it would it would maybe be the biggest story of the 21st century in terms of college football because of the Probably. escalation of it, you know, like starting well, yeah, from this thing of, with yeah. stallions and then the, all the leaks and all the info and then the infighting with the coaches in the conference and Harbaugh, you know, and, and the Harbaugh of it all. And then you keep escalating and then they actually did leave. Oh, yeah, that's I think that's the biggest story of, of screw, re- regular realignment talk. This is the, the story. My my thought on this would be. I think Michigan is really doing themselves a disservice by doing everything they can to protect Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh. But at the same time, given their previous slate of, of coaches since Lloyd Carr left, I understand, right? I understand why, because, you know, Rich Rodriguez, come on, like this, like we're talking about, they've had some horrible coaches there uh, that won't, let me, let me, coaches that didn't perform to what Michigan was really expecting. And they weren't winning against, they weren't beating Ohio State regularly. I can understand why Michigan's a little apprehensive because it's Harbaugh and he's the legacy and all these, so many layers to that. But at the same time, I look at him like, man, you're, oh, Michigan's really going to hurt themselves by just hitching their wagon to Harbaugh 100%, man. I mean, I agree. They're not, nationally, especially right at now, the because the NCAA, strong likelihood they give him a show cause. I mean, I could see that happening, man. I mean, it makes sense. And the thing is, is that that's about the only like, thing they can do because you can't go yeah. to the players. You can't do scholarship no. reductions. That hurts the team. That's just the players. Right. They got nothing to do with this. Sure. And NCAA knows, okay, we can't do that. I think they've realized they got to get away from that as a punishment because yeah. it, it yeah. it's a bad look. After Penn State uh, with the Sandusky stuff, yeah, I think. I think yeah, they, they realized, yeah, we, we can't go after scholarships because that's right. these guys have nothing to do with it. You got to go right. after the coaches and you can say you're not a sanctioned NCAA coach anymore. For X number right. of years, right. That's the most likely outcome. So we'll have to see what happens going forward, especially as the and before we get to the NCAA part, we got to see what goes on with Harbaugh and the Big Ten uh, continuing this season and into the postseason. So definitely something I mean, to keep they, an eye uh, on. And speaking of yeah. postseason, yep. Do you want to transition right into the CFP reactions? Let's do this, man. Let's okay. do this. To back to the react screen. So this week's CFP rankings came out last night. Uh, a couple of shockers, not much at the top. A lot of status quo 
minor shuffling here and there based on game results, as well as setting up for interesting storylines down the road, which I don't fault the CFP for really doing. It is a television product. And clearly they're doing that kind of like ordinal, you know, like we're going through, here's the one losses, here's the two losses, here's the three losses, and then changing things up based on individual uh, exceptions or wins and bad losses and stuff like that. So looking at this, Georgia 1, Ohio State 2, Michigan 3, uh, Florida State, Washington, Oregon, Texas, Alabama, Missouri, and Louisville in the top 10. Or Louisville. I say it right. Louisville. Mizzou and Louisville in the top 10. Who'd have thunk, right? And 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 waiting in the wings is Oregon State, man. Yep. Like that, that's a very fun-looking ranking right there. Mm-hmm. If there were 12 teams going into this playoffs, and we talked about this in Discord this week, this would have been a really This would be a great top fun, 12. This would be damn fun. Fun as hell to watch in the playoffs. Yeah. Because yeah, I don't think Penn State would have a shot against Georgia, but everybody else, those would be great games. Better than maybe it would be what Louisville, Michigan. Yeah. yeah. Other than those two, everything else is a rock fight and a whale of a game. Right. That'd be an amazing playoff, at least in terms of rankings as they stand. So, sure. other things that stand out like Louisville in the top ten, like what? Like, I, I, I kind of get it based on the wins, but also kind of don't, because clearly Notre Dame's not what we thought they were. Nope. And, and, and they can still run, they run the table. Cool. Top 10, get it. That's fine. But it's just, and they're a one-loss team. Like, you can't put them, like, below Iowa, right? Like, that's not, at this point, we're kind of splitting hairs, but it just, it but, doesn't you know, sound biggest, right as that Louisville's a top 10 against, team. But Lu, Lu, their biggest win was against Duke, right? I mean, that's just... Really, that you have to think about. I think they're being a little too. I think I think they're giving them a little too much love. Which, hey, I still think that they're a fun team because they can go in and cause problems. They're also going to pick them this week. Yep, they are. Um, but yeah, like I, I really like, I really like overall the numbers. Like M- Missouri moving up. Hey, they went out there and they beat the the snot out of Tennessee last week. Yeah, right? they're a good team. Very um, good team. I really liked. I really like. Like, I'm okay with it. I think the big one would be. Mizzou jumping up five spots, Ole Miss dropping four, Tennessee taking that loss. Way at the bottom there at 17, right right below Iowa is Arizona, a team that I had no – like we didn't see that one coming, man. But no. just the thought we, – and we had postulated, postulated like ideas of upsets that could happen the next couple of weeks going into the Pac-12 and how if this were a 12-team, like Arizona could find themselves in the playoff all of a sudden if they got if they were if they're legitimately hot right now. Like there's just so many ideas that can happen starting next year that are going. And they're going to run out of money, right? <laughs> that oh, scandal is so oh my crazy. Gosh. How much they was lost two hundred and forty million dollars based on a bad financial projection, like a bad model. See, like here's the thing about what that. who who in the business office screwed that up, right? Like. That you're not talking about numbers getting transposed. You're talking about 250 million in misprojections. That's just oh, shocking. Oh man, that state level auditor going through everything with a fine tooth comb. They're gonna be so excited to get in the Big 12 next year and get their whatever they get, 10 million. They're gonna take a big loan out on this 250 and take the the Big 12 uh, earnings and just put it into that into that loan payment. That's what's gonna happen with Arizona, man. They they, they need to have a really good basketball season. Let's put it like that. But yeah, they need that NCAA payout. <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, other shockers. Uh, unranked Iowa is at number sixteen. I mean, I get it. They're a two-loss team. Don't get me wrong. Sixteen with no offense. That's crazy. If you had told me they were twenty, cool, because they were twenty-two last week and they won in a shutout, right. convincing win over Rutgers. Move up two slots. That would be fine, especially with Oklahoma State getting their crap kicked in by UCF. Sixteen's a stretch. But also, clearly, they're doing the one-loss, two-loss, three-loss thing with some exceptions along the way. So that's not like... I can absolutely see the reasoning. And it's better they're a Big Ten team that's 8-2. and You know, that isn't bad, but out of context... that that, That's an out-of-context result. If you look at Iowa in context as an Iowa fan, they're not the 16th best team in the country. I think they could beat the 16th best team in the country with that defense. Everybody but Georgia-Michigan... They could hang with maybe even Ohio State because they, short of now losing Cooper DeGene, uh, I think they could hang with just about any offense in the country defensively beyond Georgia, Michigan, because their offensive lines are so dominant. 
So yeah, like it just feels weird that Iowa's sixteenth. And there's and a path talk... for them to finish top ten. Well, I mean, that's one that's crazy to me too. It's just because other teams ahead idea... of them are going to either face somebody in the top right. ten or lose. And if Iowa wins out and gets to the title game, like Oklahoma's going to face Texas, probably loses, so they're dropping. Well, no, as of right now, it's Oklahoma State. Yeah, but I'm, it is. Yeah, um, that's what I mean. Like, but that's also what I mean. They're not going to make their title game. Oh yeah, that's what that. Sorry, said the wrong thing. I was looking at a different sure. matchup. Louisville, there. If they run the table and get to the ACC game and lose, they're going to drop. Oregon State has two back-to-back amazing games. Yep. If they lose both those, they're falling. If they lose one of those, they're falling. Right. Yep. Um, Penn State, they're probably going to hold steady. But they're also not making the title game because of their losses. Ole Miss is only going to continue to fall. Alabama will finish probably above Iowa because they play Georgia. And assuming they also run the table and don't lose before the SEC title game. Texas, assuming they win the Big Ten, they're moving up. And then Oregon Washington are going to have a rematch. Florida State likely beats Louisville as well. So, yeah, there's a path for Iowa to somehow finish top 10 in the college football rankings. That's wild to me especially because we don't have an offense or didn't until last week at least who knows if that's sustainable i think it was a product of Rutgers being a little beat up coming off that org that ohio state game but they certainly looked efficient and that's all they would, really need with that d if you're brian Ferenc, would you just completely open up the playbook apparently he wasn't week? wearing any hawkeye gear too that was another note i had i did not know apparently this. he was going all black revenge tour i'm like oh shit all right, if, if Iowa Dash. gets that level of just fuck you mode from Brian, and it's not the turtle mode, I'm not even going to try fuck you mode. But he like flings the ball around. They're running flea flickers. Oh, they don't have this. They don't have the guys for that. He he'll can't move like I, that. But having an efficient that's this is the best case scenario for Brian. Just show you have you can call an efficient game, especially now that your guys have been playing together. Like I actually forgot Hill hadn't played football in three years. You know what I mean? Like, he had not played in a long time because of the, I believe he took a redshirt year, then COVID, and he was a backup last year. So, at least, it was at least two years he hasn't played. That's a lot of rust, even if you've been practicing. That's a lot of rust because you're playing defenses live. You're not playing with your team. You're playing against somebody. If he's able to kind of turn that corner and become a D1 QB, not even a good one, just a D1 QB, Iowa at 16 is not bad, but that's not enough of a sample size to have Iowa at 16. That's crazy. All right, so other stuff on this agenda. One of the games coming up uh, involves your Texas Longhorns, involving another team from the state of Iowa, which we'll get to in a moment. Do you want to talk coaching carousel? Do that because this has a really big impact on what's going to take place next Mm -hmm. year. So obviously the big one, Jimbo Fisher wins uh, is right up there with Kirk Cousins for the greatest contract negotiations of all time. Right. Uh no offset $76 million buyout. Are you kidding me? I I'll be honest with you, I think they're 2A and 2B because one goes to Deshaun Watson. Let's be real. 230 True, but million guaranteed. I'm not going to give him the the not- the notoriety because at least the other two aren't complete scumbags. Correct. So, Correct. yeah, that's where I, that's why I go with that. That and Kirk did it first. You know, he had the first fully guaranteed quarterback deal. You know, like that was that completely restructured how the NFL does business at the quarterback position. And then Jimbo, hey, yeah, I want a national title, but uh, give her that offset in the clause. Like, and they they went for it. Like, you got to imagine the the eyeballs on that agent's eyes when that happened. Like, what? That's absolutely bonkers to me. $76 Seventy-six million dollars to no longer be coaching. Both coaches get fired. <laughs> That's... There's more. Well, there's more to it than that. They have to pay out one hundred fifty million dollars because of his coaching staff. Yeah, it's not just him. It's not just him. Like the number will be by the time the contract, by the time this contract will have ended, they will have to pay both Kurt, uh, both uh, Jimbo Fisher seventy-six million, and then an additional seventy-five to his staff. So a lot of these coaches that are going to be shown the door if they are sure more than likely will be are going to get paid too. You know, they're going to go, they're going to yeah, get their contracts are done. Yep. And so they're going to get paid. 
I think the big thing was, and I'm sure you probably saw it, was that the the alums raised 160 million dollars, and they showed that check at halftime of that game last week, where they, you know, even though A and M uh, put up 51 points, like when I saw that image the next morning, because I didn't watch the A and M game, when I saw that image, I was like, oh, dude, like this is like this isn't gonna be good. And then boom, come Monday, he's out. I'm like, yeah, man, that just, oof, mm-hmm. oof. That's a lot of money to walk away, but you know, man, and just when coaches start talking about, yeah, I'm not going anywhere because of my buyout, both Jimbo and Dana Holgerson at U of H both have stated this recently. You're not doing yourself any favors about in, in regards to keeping your job. You're basically making threats like, yeah, I don't give a damn how good or bad I am. Like you're not, you're going to have to pay me and like it. It's just it, that tone really doesn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. And then you got guys, nice the other other names, uh, Chip Kelly's apparently soon to be on the coaching block. Uh, apparently, after the USC time. game, yep. um, the buyout goes from eight to four million. <laughs> kind of a similar situation to the Scott Frost one last year, where after a certain date, the buyout was in half. So, of course, makes sense as an athletic department to wait as long as possible, but also make sure you get a hire as soon as possible because early signing day, recruiting, it's a never-ending game. Yep. You wonder. Chip Kelly's age. Does he get another job? Does he want another job? You know, like, does he want a head coaching job? He was the offensive innovator for so long in Oregon. Goes to the NFL, comes back, and the UCLA tenure, not as great. Never really seemed like he fit in. I was watching a few different uh, breakdowns of this. And, you know, people were questioning, did he... Did he ingratiate himself to the boosters very well? Apparently, he really didn't like the NIL recruiting stuff. Just had a problem with this new world. And as I was listening to this, and something dawned on me. It's like, what would happen if Kirk Ferentz called him if he wants to be a coordinator? Hey, you want to just call plays? You can do whatever you want. We, you don't have to recruit. We'll leave that to the running backs coach, because Liddell Betts, by all accounts, is an incredible recruiter. Right. Like, we'll leave that to, you know, the recruiting coordinator, which I think is actually his son-in-law, Kirk's. Though apparently, very good. Like, that's a case of not really nepotism because he's not related to him. But he's also good at his job. So that was one I just couldn't shake the feeling as people were talking about the Chip Kelly and why it didn't work at UCLA. Like, he just wants to be a ball coach. Like, well, somebody needs just a ball coach right now. Are are there any connections to Kurt previously? No, probably just, you know, general collegiate. The the thing that makes the most sense, I'm saying this is pie in the sky. The only thing no, that makes no, sense no. is Paul Christ for me. Okay. Because okay. you need a, you need a guy that can coach the line. Tim Polasek would be fine, but you need a guy that can command respect in the Big Ten. Paul Christ signals we're being fucking serious here. And he was a good old line coach. He had good offenses. And I think he could be the one guy that gets Kirk to not do the zone run scheme and actually go power offense because that's how their line is structured. They're structured for a go-hit dude's power offense, not a zone scheme. Because that, like, they've gone to this counter gap thing where they're pulling and just running dudes into people, and it works. Yeah. That's how yeah. they're structured now. You got to abandon the zone. Well, I mean, he ran RPO so much at at Oregon. So, I the only reason why thinking this through now, it would make sense for him to go to Iowa to be the OC. Would Again, be strictly... they'd be both short term hires because I don't think Kirk's sticking yeah. around that long. No, 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 no. I think the only reason that he would go there is because of the fact that. Kurt is old school football. Exactly. It's a different philosophies of play, but similar philosophies of coaching. Yep, exactly. Like the the catering towards the wealthy, the NILs, the kissing of the ass and all that stuff, like the money involved. I think I think Chip's you're right. I think Chip's being worn down. I think he thought he was gonna go to UCLA and be able to just football it up, but then he saw what USC did with NILs last year. And I think he realizes he's. I think. I think it's a game he doesn't want to play. It sounds like. Yeah. Well, it's just Nick Saban. I think. I think Nick Saban's on borrowed time because Nick Saban doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And you know, these guys were like, "Why can't we just?" And apparently, UC, the, the, the UCLA's collective is maybe not as well run, or at least well organized. Like Iowa was a little slow out of the gate with their NIL collective. Just speaking, like locally, with what sure. I'm familiar with. Sure. And but once. Number one, once Bardo was gone, they've actually been working much more in concert with the AD's office, even with the interim. But also, it took them a while to form a collective. But once they did, off to the races. I mean, 
because Caitlin Clark recently got a pretty decent. Yeah, like night. That, like that's like they're running stuff for basketball guys, for football guys. Mm-hmm. Like um, that's how Cade McNamara and Eric All both got here. And right. Cade was a very high profile transfer quarterback. Iowa was able to pull him in, and you know they were paying him. Right. Like their collective, we don't have the richest donors, but we certainly do have people that spend money. There was a sure. the Moon family spent ten million dollars to basically sponsor the head coach position. Like that's not crazy to think they've got money to play with and a structure that you as a coach don't really need to be involved with all that much to, sure. for it to be effective. I think I think some of the older guard head coaches, if they want to just go back to being offensive dudes and both Chris and Kelly come to mind, that's not a bad option at Iowa for just three or four years, probably till Kirk's done. And then if you've got that head coaching bug, clearly Iowa's going to have an opening. Or you could go get another Power 5 job if you kind of get re-energized into the job. Right. Certainly, certainly something to consider, though. I think my money's currently right now on Christ, Polasek, and then the field. Who knows? And I think, I think because Chip isn't the most personable guy in the world when you, t- when you hear about him talking with, you know, the media yeah, and he's so little terse, forth. But not like rude yeah. terse, but just, no. just brief. I, what I think is, I think that makes more sense for him to go somewhere, kind of lay low for a little bit. And then jump on another opportunity after, like you said, a few years of how the NIL dust will settle. Yeah, because like it's going to change a lot. We're still figuring things out, and I th- and like we talked about before we even started doing this podcast, uh, you know, just on the side that I really think the NCAA is going to put in some type of some type of structure in place for NILs because just of the madness the last two years with you know USC, all the transfers that have been happening because of strictly money, it, like there's. They have no problem with the coaches getting paid and leaving whenever they want. They do have a problem with the players doing it whenever. But I don't they think want. they can. The Supreme Court in very much said unanimously, no, no, no. "Hey, this we don't like you regulating student markets." No, 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 no. They can, they can't, they don't, they can't regulate that. But they could put rules in place in terms of like transferring. They can, yeah, they can certainly. Do, they they can same kind of thing though. A student's going to sue. You know why? Oh yeah. Because students on music scholarship can transfer school to school and nobody gives a shit. Right. Right? Like, they don't have to miss a beat. They don't have to miss class. They can go to a concert. They can make money. Nobody cares. I don't believe the NCAA really has a leg to stand on with regulating a transfer market because no. at the end of the day, they're students and adults. Yeah. You saying, hey, now you could make the argument, yes, you signed up for a scholarship, which means certain rules, but at the same time, if it's student first, you kind of don't get to have that, in well, my opinion. Scholars- how I read it. No, no, no. I get what you're saying. What I think is we're going to test the unknown here because yes, of what you're yeah. saying. I, 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 I don't point. know if the NCAA wants to test that water, or they just leave leave it the way it is. Then they just see what they just see how they can massage things a little bit with NIL, but then they don't want to put any structure in place. Is what you're saying because they don't want to poke that bear. I mean, given the fact that the you know the the O'Bannon rule from that from that lawsuit is what opened the floodgates for this. It took, you know, what, over 12, 13, 14 years for this. Like, this was a process that took almost yeah, what, was years. Yeah, was that, 2010? Uh, I think so. And yeah. then it was appealed, and then it was finally... Yep. Yeah, because that's what killed yeah. NCAA football the first time. Yep. So, yeah, it was a little before that, but... Yeah, so it was 2010 that he filed the lawsuit, and then, um, and then uh, like you said, by 13, it was in process of appeal, so that they just said, you know... EA was like, yeah, we're not, we don't want to deal with this because we don't know the future ramifications. We're done uh, putting out games. But all that aside, like, there's, there, I think there will be some lawsuits that will be taking place just because there's some serious money out there. Like, Dion, his kids are making, you know, the, the Sanders boys are making like three, somewhere between three to four million each at Colorado. You know, like, there's a lot of money to be had by some of the big name players. And I think they are going to have to push some boundaries because. I do think the NCAA is going to try to test a few things to put out yeah. there. Because I Nick do Saban think there's a couple like things like, obviously you can say, hey, this is the same. We're sanctioning the sport. If you're not an active student, you don't get to participate. That's sure. fair game. Yeah. But in terms of, and if you're not, if you're going to transfer and the school hasn't said you're a student, you also don't get to play. Like that kind of thing. And obviously in season, it's a different story. But I just don't see what the NCAA can realistically do to put guardrails up without maybe, running afoul of the courts. Maybe like you, maybe they put the one-year sit rule again. They put it back in. But again, put it back in. 
that is i don't think that's gonna fly right we're dealing with adult college students i don't think it's the courts gonna are be, gonna be cool with that it's gonna be crazy because nick saban because it's directly affecting their economic well mobility frank with you nick saban Dabo sweeney big college football names they're gonna have a hard time competing with nil it's just a, I mean, well the thing is the conferences need to be like hey uh we're gonna tamp down on what needs to happen is tamping down on coach spending Sure. I agree with that. Because it's, once that bubble bursts on the economic market in terms of television rights, them schools are going to be hurting. Right. So they got to I mean, tamp that down. That, and and then it's that weird hypocriticalness of it. that that They're always on the wrong side of the PR because of the hypocritical novice. Hip, sure. hip, hypocriticalness of it. Like, I mean, Nick Saban's making $10 million a year. Yeah, it's I like, mean, guys, you're in glass houses. Maybe fix yeah. your own shit. Right. Then like, come for the rest. Then bitch and moan for the rest. Take a little bit off of your contract to give back to the players, you know, and we could talk about, you know. Yeah, then, then it's a different conversation. But right. speaking of different right. conversations, we should move into Let's our go. week 12 Let's pick em games. Pick We've got five games. So a little brief update on where we're at on our pick em right now. We've had 55 games so far. We've got five more this week. So here are the leaderboard standings. I'm in the lead at 38. You picked against me. You went, you went Rutgers. Uh, I went Rutgers, Bad decision, man. man. Iowa shut them out twice at home. Bad decision. Was uh, it twenty-two? Was it twenty-two? Nothing. Twenty-two. I saw the third. Saw the score in the third quarter. No, it was fourth quarter. They got to twenty-two. No, I know, but when I saw like they hadn't scored at that point, Rutgers hadn't scored, and I was like, like "Ooh, yeah, ooh, this is." Not it was good. three nothing. Was enough in that game. Yeah, and, yeah. So Fusion's at thirty-seven. Gamma Chris is at thirty-six. Eddie's at thirty-four. Shadows at thirty-one, and Les is at twenty-seven. So. The, the the bottom four are fighting for a custom wood burning that I'm going to make. Oh, by the way, I forgot to take us back to the main screen. My bad. Um, so, yeah, we're back on the two-man screen. But um, that's our leaderboard. They're fighting for a custom wood burning. Here's our games for this week. We have number 10, Louisville. Louisville going to Miami for an 11 a.m. kick on ABC. Number 22, Utah takes on number 17, Arizona. 130 kick on the Pac-12 network. Illinois takes on Iowa at Kinnick. I'm going with the no rankings here because Run Your Pool uses the AP. That's a 230 on FS1. Washington takes on Oregon State in Corvallis. 6.30 p.m. ABC, national broadcast. And the other national game for the evening is number 7, Texas, going to their House of Horrors in November, Ames, Iowa, to take on Iowa State. Of note in that game, Iowa has won four of the last... Iowa State has won four of the last five in Ames against Texas. Right. That's a lot. And those, are, I think, are all Matt Campbell-coached games. Beyond maybe one. No, it would be all five, because they've played... He's been there nine years? Eight years? Close to all being Matt Campbell-coached teams. So where do you want to start? Let's do this from... Let's go bottom-up. Let's go Louisville. Louisville. Miami. Sounds good. Um, I'm picking Louisville just because they're the top 10 team. Miami, I think, has kind of packed it in for the year, especially after the massive coaching blunders. Same time, though, late season, underdog at home. They got a chance to knock off a top 10 team. If Chris, you know, if they can get up for that game, I think Louisville's a little overrated at number 10. So it wouldn't shock me for an upset, but I'm sticking with, with the road team here. What about you? Uh, uh, Louisville, like I said earlier, biggest win was against Duke. Uh, Miami's lost three of their last five games. Big thing, though, in Miami is that the Hurricanes are short only half a point for a top 10 team. That's really weird, right? Well, I, I should mean, say their biggest game is Notre Dame, Louisville. Okay, They've, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Notre Dame got brommed. Yeah, that's right. Um, that line half is, is half a point on ESPN. Half a point. Half a point for Miami. That's really weird to me that, it, you know, given that they're a top 10 team and they're only, you know, it's a half a point. I know it's on the road, but still it's a team that's suffering, you know, in terms of like, like I said, losing three out of five. I'm still picking Louisville. I think they, I think they squeak this out. We are in agreement. We're moving yep. on to Utah taking on Arizona. That is another one point line. Utah, Arizona, the home team. Utah with the best defense in the Pac-12, more than likely, at least from what I've watched. Taking on Arizona, a hot Arizona team at home. What about you? Where, where's your pick on this one? I'm t I'm pull it up here. Make sure I get this right. I'm going with the Wildcats, man, because you know 
over the last five games since they've lost to USC, they're averaging 44 points a game. I think they've found their stride offensively. I think they don't have a great defense, but they do just enough uh, to not get blown out and to keep things steady. Like against Oregon State, they were able to just hold them off. Uh, same thing with UCLA. I'm picking the Wildcats, man. I never thought I'd say this, but I, I Utah Utes, I just think as great as that defense is, I think without a quarterback, without a, a true number one quarterback, that team really does look different. They really, really do. Yeah, I'm torn on this one. I've been debating whether or not to go Utah or Arizona because I love teams like Utah because, much like Iowa, in November, they're very hard to beat. You know, like Iowa, we'll get to them in a second. They're 19-1 and since 2019, November. That's in November. That's a major record disparity. Don't know what Utah's is, but they got a great coach. And again, they just... I don't know if they're going to be able to keep up, especially right. coming off that big game against Washington. Right. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna pick Arizona. Now, granted, they faced probably arguably the best quarterback in college football last. Very year. true. Very true. Still, but much like Rutgers coming off that Ohio State game, I think there's going to be a physical hangover. Sure. I that's I agree with that. I really do. It's just, and it sucks because Utah was one of my dark horse teams, you know, this Yeah, season. and if they'd had that, if they'd had a QB, if Cam Rising man, how different would this be... football season look? Man. Crazy. Frustrating. All right, so moving on, we got Illinois going to Kinnick Stadium, the last home game for the Hawkeyes senior day. It's Torrey Taylor's last day. He's announced he's going on to the NFL. 230 FS1. I know they just lost Cooper DeGene. Yep. But Illinois... Luke Altmeyer is not the quarterback that uh, I'm blanking on the backup's name that just went off against Indiana. I think that game was a little fool's gold because Indiana is not very good. Iowa's defense is, even without Cooper DeGene, very good. And I think they're going to be ready. And I think if when Illinois presses, I think Iowa's going to continue their streak of better defensive play and better pressure, which means turnovers. So I'm going to go Iowa. You're thinking of John Paddock, the senior quarterback. Paddock. That's I knew it was a John. I couldn't John. remember the last name. Fourth generation um, Illinois player. Right. That's that's really cool. That, Iowa's got cool a, Iowa's got a Max Max White. I think is also a fourth generation Hawkeye right now. That, that's His a cool great thing grandfather played with Kinnick. Because I mean, outside of that, there's not much else going on with Illinois football. I mean, great. They, 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 they they've been underwhelming they've been this win. year. If they went if out though. Like, that's a bit of a turnaround because they were projected to be in the running for the West. Right. It's just they they just didn't put it together this year. What about you? Where are you going? I'm going with I'm going with the Hawkeyes here, man. I good. think I think defense overall is still better. I think special teams still figure ways to uh with without Dejean, they'll still figure out ways to keep the ball. Um where they want it in terms of field position. And I think with the defense, um, yeah, I, I think, I think this one, and I'm, I'm half joking when I said it, but I'm also not, ha- I'm half serious here. I wouldn't be shocked if Brian Ferenc opens up the playbook here a little bit, just to kind of, you know, to shoot the finger at, 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 at school, you know, to be like, okay, well, you know what? You guys have been bitching about it all season. Okay. I'm going to go out like this. This is how I'm going to go out. I just don't We're think there's run- enough horses to do that. You, 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 yeah, but then they're also they're facing Illinois. You know, their horses. I do are think Caleb Brown better. cracking the starting lineup though is massive news because he's another guy who didn't get a lot of experience at Ohio State, and when he sure. did get experience at Iowa, he had the drops, new quarterback, bad timing. Right now, it kind of seems like that connection has gotten better just because they've gotten reps together. Right, and he's a next. He's one of those next level athletes Iowa often does not have. And it puts the pressure on the defense because he's more of that X receiver type who's yeah. going to put it the pressure on the middle of the field. And Seth Anderson is a very solid route runner on the outside. Great double move guy. Like, wouldn't shock me to see some downfield passing this week because the weather's going to be amazing. It's going to be fantastic in Iowa. Like, talking mid-50s, you know, for a midday game. Like, that's that's perfect weather for fall football. So it should be a good one. Yeah. Um, I'm, going with, I'm going with the Hawkeyes here. I say, I say they, they they pull it out. Yeah, Sounds good. Uh, Oregon State hosting Washington. Ooh. Can Oregon State pull off a last couple weeks of just great football to end their Pac-12 history? And 
they get to keep the rights to the Pac-12. Did you see the court case today? Yes, I saw that. That uh, was really cool. That was awesome. <laughs> I was like, hey, what a great... And, and I appreciate the judge being a little more like, hey, you, you don't get to also treat them like shit on their way right. out the door. Right. But you get to keep the rights in the name and you're the sole two board members. Yes. Well, and I think I think Oregon State and Washington State will be classy with all of the teams leaving. Like, they're not... They shouldn't be, but they will be. They will be. They will be. Because, you know, they don't have... I mean, the the best way the best way to to kind of shoot the finger at these schools is to for Oregon State to beat Washington this week and Oregon next week, and just create a mess of the Pac-12 going into the title game, like, and then into the playoff. Like we had talked about this, if if Oregon State were to run the table with two losses, you have to say, shit, they have to be they have to be considered like that would be that the mythical spot. scenario for a two loss team, because two loss team because yeah they they two back to back top ten wins. And then they go and they beat Washington again in the Pac-12 title if game. If that like, happens, like, I mean, you have to, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like if they're if they're not if they're lower than five in that scenario, inexcusable. <sighs> Wouldn't shock me if they end up before, especially if say, say Louisville takes out FSU. You know, and Iowa somehow shocks the world and wins the Big Ten title. Oregon State would if they if they run the table. There's a scenario they're in. I don't think it's likely. In fact, it's not likely. But there's a scenario. It's gonna be fun to watch though. Yeah, I think all all things things considered, if Washington and Oregon were slapped around by Oregon State and they were dropped out of the top spots, I think that you talk about Alabama saying we deserve to be. To oh yes, they're especially if like, they beat Georgia. If they beat Georgia, but if they don't beat Georgia, then you know they'll have two losses on the season. It'll it'll be interesting for them to say, okay, what is our record like? Our strength of schedule versus Oregon State, but then Oregon State's like, hey, we beat Washington and Oregon, and, and Arizona is a top twenty five team. Right, they so, lost to them. Yep. So it's one of those things where it could get a little interesting with Oregon State. That aside, I really thought hard about this one, man. Picking Washington, I'm, I got to go with my Heisman pick, man. I think. Michael Penix has shown that he is the more than well more than likely number one overall pick uh this season. And I think what he's been able to do with a piecemealed running game, I really appreciate. The Washington defense is one of those bend but don't break squads, and they've been able to hold on just enough this season uh in key moments, which has been fun to watch for me as a like it, I'm not a fan, you know, alumna, alumnus, or a fan, but I'm I'm picking Washington, man. I I am, I am. It sucks to say that because I like we said, Oregon State. If they were to win and create madness the next couple of weeks, that would be hella fun. But I, I, I'm just I'm going conservative here. I'm picking the Huskies. Fair enough. I'm gonna stick with the home team. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the trigger and give you the opening like to get back in it. Um, hang on, let me go back. It's a two and a half. They're two and a half point favorites. Yep, I agree. So I'm going to stick with the home team. And then, of course, we round out the team, the game, where this one I think will be unanimous, but it should be an interesting one. Texas goes on the road all the way up north to Ames. Thankfully, they get bailed out by the weather. It's going to be actually nice. It's not going to be freezing like it has been in years past. They're going to get a nice, balmy, high 40s evening game in Iowa. No real wind to speak of. It shouldn't be, at least. Not the forecast right now. But it's Iowa. Who knows? This time of year. We had, we this yesterday morning, clear as day, fifty degrees in the morning. I get to work, I almost got knocked over by the wind. Came out of nowhere. It was insane. We were knocked all the traffic cones across the street because they're doing construction work. They kept getting blown into the street, and cars have to swerve. It was a nightmare. So who knows what the weather will look like? Most likely, it should be fine. The fusion. What's your take on Texas playing Iowa State? Uh, Texas is uh, seven and a half point favorites going into Ames. Uh, offensive lineman Jared, was it Hufford? Huford? Hufford? Uh, calling out the Longhorns. Keep uh, in mind, Iowa State's also the five-star culture beats five-star players team from a few years ago. Another yeah, I, time they beat Texas. Yep. It's part of the culture and identity of that team. As much as I'd like to think that this was going, a couple, two weeks ago, was going to be a slobber knocker, as Jim Ross used to say, I think Texas is going to put it to Iowa State Saturday night, man. They're going to cover easy. Two touchdowns. Yeah. That's okay. All right. I think so, man. 
the reason why I'm stating this is because there is stability in the program now. Xavier Worthy is more than likely coming back. Jonathan Brooks sucks. That CJ Baxter is going to have to carry the load, which makes things very difficult. But they have a bunch of they have a, they have a good enough running team uh, like depth there uh, to really like. It's not like Washington where they lost two of their starters and like they they had to piece things together. Like there there there's good talent in the running back spot for Texas outside of Jonathan Brooks because Jonathan Brooks wasn't he 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 wasn't like no one predicted him to have this this type of season at all. Like CJ Baxter was a starter week one, but then he got hurt. So I, I think with all that considered, I think Ewers is more than likely coming back next season as well. I think there's stability there, and I think that these guys are going to have a sense of like, okay, let's go out there and let's push as hard as we can to get into the playoff. And it starts it starts this Saturday in Ames. I think that I think that they're going to go out there looking to roll on Iowa State to really to really get themselves uh, positioned for uh, for that Big Twelve title game to to get back into uh, to get into the playoff. Okay. My other question is, why didn't that happen at TCU? We have this issue that we've had a couple times now where... I will say, they did control the game for three no, no, quarters. No, no. Yeah, this, no, this happened against K-State, and it happened against U of H. I'm going to be quite honest with you. It's something you have to talk about. And Iowa There's... State's better than those teams. So Texas is really good. Like their Their defense is very, very talented, right, from top to bottom. And there are instances like they have the ability to to fluctuate between man defense, their secondary between man and press coverage, and they go back and forth through different parts of the game. But what I've noticed is 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 what I noticed in those games where the you know like TCU, uh, Houston, and, and Kansas State, where those teams came back was they went strictly to a zone full time the second half, like to start the second half into the third quarter, into the fourth quarter. And it's not until late in the fourth quarter where they go back to swapping out into press coverage, like rolling back and forth. And I'm wondering, and, and the play calling by Sark, it gets very conservative coming out of halftime, which is very weird to me because for a guy that creates a bunch of dynamic plays, like why are you going conservative and having some really bad play calling in the third quarter usually is when we see that. And that's when the other team, the opponent starts coming back. I, I think they're going to have a different approach this week. They're going to test some things out here. They're going to come out with their foot on the gas and come back out at halftime saying, we're not going to go conservative. We cannot do that anymore. I, I think there's a lot to be learned from TCU last week because that scared them. That really, really did because they were tempting fate against U of H and, you know, we have that whole fourth down measurement thing there. Kansas State, okay, Kansas State's a good team. They're not a bad team. TCU's really struggled this season and for them to, like, let them back into the game the way they did with poor play calling by the by, by Sark on offense and the defense kind of going into this weird, like, complete zone coverage, I think Texas is going to have an about face this week. I say that with a lot of hope, man, because if I that if it looks like it's the same typical, like, like it's looked, like it's looked these past few weeks. If that shit happens again, again against Iowa State, where they come out, take a lead, come back out at halftime, and they shit the bed again, it's going to be hard for me to push for Texas to get in the playoff. I'm going to be real with you, man. Like, as much as I support the Longhorns. That style of coaching and that style of approach, that method, the methodology isn't going to work against Georgia. It's not going to work against Michigan or Ohio State. Like any of those teams, like you give them that opening, they're going to feast. This the thing is, is they're playing lesser talented squads right now, and they've been able to kind of hang on and hang around. That's not going to happen in the, in the playoff if they do that. No, I agree. So, so I completely agree. To... Texas is my pick. Okay. I would note that Nate Shieldhouse, Iowa's offensive coordinator, this is his first time doing it. That dude's real good. Like yeah. they have changed their entire offensive philosophy in season. That's hard to do with right. young players, and they've been doing it with increasing with a, effective effectiveness. With a, a freshman quarterback. No, he's I mean, a sophomore, I think. Is he? A but he hadn't somebody? played before. Okay. Didn't play it at Iowa State because Ooh, Decker's, Rocco, no, Rocco Beck is a freshman. Oh, no, sorry, freshman. I'm thinking of Cole, different guy. He was backing up uh, Decker's last year. Rocco um, Beck yeah. is a freshman. Back, so... Yeah, freshman QB. They got freshmen all over the lineup, both sides. Right. They're getting better. I don't think they're good enough. Don't get me wrong. But crazy things have happened in names. It's not quite Kinnick voodoo, right? It's not quite Kinnick at night voodoo. But crazy shit happens in names. I'm not picking them, though. I'm going Texas as well. So our okay. only difference game this week is Oregon State-Washington. Circle that one because if, if I'm right, I take a two-game lead. 
And if you're right, as much as I'll be taking a taking a, a hit there, I still will be happy because Oregon State will be causing chaos. Exactly. And I'm all for win win. Like, like I don't like. Hey, I I like to win these 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 challenges. These are great, but I'm not getting the wood burning. You know, like hey, whoever's below us, if they can catch up, like let those let them fight it out for the wood burnings, man. Let them fight it out. But if this happens, and I I go, you know, five and zero, oh, awesome. If I'm four and one and it's Oregon State winning. I'm, cool with that man because that final week against oregon shit's gonna go bonkers man oh. yeah it's gonna be a real fun week rivalry rivalry week is gonna be very intense right all right so we're gonna get out of here it's been a, just about an hour recording wise we'll be back for week 13 for rivalry week we might record a little early because thanksgiving is right around the corner right and we'll let you know stay tuned on twitter and social medias hit that like hit that subscribe we'll see you next time peace